Is it cold in here? Yes. This is really loud. <laughs> I'm just waiting for everybody to come in. Well, good evening. Um, we're having technical difficulties tonight. We cannot get the video to play for some reason. So we're going to try an HDMI cord. We got uh, Jesse's going to the house to get it. So we'll do worship. If, it, if we can't get it to watch, we'll try to figure something out, okay? Um, real quick, just a couple announcements. Um, I, I didn't get a chance to ever pass out those, uh, and this is really loud. Let me see if I can move this down a little bit. Um, I didn't get a chance to hand the angels, angels and the angel of the Lord document. This is out of my uh, full life study Bible or life in the spirit Bible. Uh, um, so if anybody would like one of these, it just kind of describes some of the angels in the Bible, so if you want one, and I'm really just disappointed that we can't get the video working, I don't know why it's not playing, we've played other videos before, and it's just, just pass, would you like one, Carol, I'm going to pass that around, I licked it, hopefully I don't make you sick. <laughs> you won't lick the same spot, is that what you said? <laughs> I'll pass it down here. There you go. <laughs> here, Joey. So, again, we're having technical difficulties with the video. Uh, Jesse, are you trying an HDMI? Do we have an HDMI? Or, or we'll do the best we can. Oh, I almost hit the baby, sorry. Would you like one? And then I'll get you guys one up here. The second thing is, if we can get this video to work, I do apologize. Um, it's been one of those weeks, and I do appreciate all the prayers that you guys have prayed for me and bronchitis, and it's going around, isn't it? Um, you know, we, we're just like a big factory we like to share with each other. But we do have a God that can heal. So I am not contagious. I am on antibiotics and stuff. If we can get this one to work, also I want to do, if you guys are interested, I'm going to present it to you. It's called The Star of Bethlehem. The producer that produced The Passion of the Christ, uh, and this is actually Rick and Sherry's video, and it describes the Star of Bethlehem, and it describes in the stars the scriptures. So let me, I'll just uh, read it real quick. Um, 
It says, scholars debate whether the star of Bethlehem is a legend created by the early church or a miracle that marked the advent of Christ. Is it possible that the star was a real astronomical event? From producer Stephen McEvity, The Passion of the Christ comes an amazing documentary on the star of Bethlehem. This presentation, as seen by tens of thousands in the U.S. and in Europe, explores the exciting truth of Scripture and reveals the evidence for God's existence as seen in the stars above. Presenter Rick Larson walks you through biblical and historical clues revealing the incredible significance of this uh, celestial event as well as the vastness of God's creativity. Discover the secret of the star, a secret of magnificent beauty. Would you guys all be interested in watching that? Now pray for our video thing. I don't know what's going on. We've played other videos before. and we're Do we need to have an exorcism on that thing? Is it working? All right, great. Praise the Lord. But before we get started, I, um, I would like to pray for you tonight, Carol, if that's okay. Uh, Ron had spoke with me of what's going on with your eyes. And so can we, can we lay hands on you tonight, pray for you tonight? Can I have some of you ladies? And I've got some anointing. Oh, you do not have to get up. I'll, we'll come to you. And uh, I'm going to take, take, can you take my mic off just for a second? Just a couple other things. Um, I'm excited. How many of you guys are interested in watching this? I don't know if I asked you guys. Uh, I think it'd be interesting. There, I, I, I like to show videos like this to, to demonstrate and prove what God's Word says. 
And once we get this video up in Jesus' name, right, we're all praying together in accordance because I really want to see this video tonight. I think it's paramount that we, we need to understand where our nation is. And, uh, you know, Jonathan Kahn, just to give you a little uh, overview of the video that we're going to be watching tonight, uh, Jonathan Kahn uh, wrote a book called The Harbinger. And now this video was, came out in 2012, so it's been, what, 11 years. But it's based upon 9-11 and some of the things behind it. All right, how's it going? Are we, going, are we close? I appreciate those guys so much. I'm glad that we have techie people because I'm not a techie person. So I've already been corrected a few times. Even my wife has to help me find stuff on my phone. So, um, <clears throat> um, what do we? Uh, let's just let's let's work. Let's let's go to prayer and we'll go to worship. Is will that affect you guys on that any, at all? Okay. Would you, if you want to, you're welcome to stand. If you want to stay seated, you're welcome to. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God. We thank you for this night. We have come together to worship you in your house. God, I pray that the anointing of your Holy Spirit would fill this place up. God, I, I pray for signs and wonders and miracles to take place, even in the midst of worship. God, I pray that hearts be changed. I pray, Lord, that uh, uh, hearts that need to be mended would be mended. Uh, healing to take place in brains. Uh, Father, healing to take place in bones and, and in ligaments and organs. And then, Father, I pray that healing would take place in our loved ones that need healing, those that need to come back to you. So, Lord, as we worship, we lay all that at your feet, and we focus not on your hand, but on your face. Lord, uh, worship you in your house is better in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Okay, y'all are going to have to help me tonight. It's just going to be us. I just picked easy songs so that we could do this. Holy, 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 holy is the Lord God Almighty. He's worthy to receive glory and worthy to receive honor and worthy to receive all our praise today. Let's sing that again. Sing holy. Holy, 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 holy. Holy is the Lord God Almighty. He's worthy to receive glory and worthy to receive honor and worthy to receive all our praise today. So let's praise Him, praise Him and lift Him up, praise Him, exalt His name forever, come on, let's praise Him, praise Him and lift Him up, praise Him. Exalt his name forever. Oh, we exalt your name, God. 
We exalt your name, Lord. I came to worship you. I came to sing your praise. I came to love you, Lord. Your holy name to raise. Father, we just honor you tonight. Lord, I know that things sometimes just happen. So, Father, we glorify you tonight. We worship you. We praise you. Ancient Israel was founded by God. It was established on his word. It was founded for his purposes. Amen. But Sorry. Israel turned away from you may be seated. It this is an awkward night. You can tell I've taken a couple weeks off. rejected his covenant. Uh, it turned to other gods. It worshiped materialism. It, it descended into sexual depravity. It, they offered their children as sacrifices on the altars to their gods. God called them back. He sent prophets to them. He sent words to them. He kept calling to them, but they kept hardening their hearts. Isaiah 9.10 is the vow of defiance that Israel utters to, against God. The bricks have fallen, but we will rebuild with quarried stone. The sycamores have been struck down, but we will plant cedars in their place. And in this time, God manifested to them nine harbingers, nine signs, nine omens of judgment, warning them. And now here's the parallel. Here's the amazing thing. America, like Israel, was founded also for God's purposes, established uh, to, to glorify his name in, in the world. America, like Israel, also turned away from his ways, has been turning, is turning rapidly, is in rapid departure from the ways of God. Yes. 
And in the same way, America has turned to other idols, materialism, sexual immorality, the offering up of its children, the unborn, not thousands as with Israel, but millions. And no nation can turn away from God that has been so blessed without suffering the consequences. But God is calling America, as he did with Israel, calling. And so with ancient Israel, as the harbingers appeared, nine specific harbingers, so in America, nine specific harbingers have appeared. The same exact harbingers that appeared in the last days of ancient Israel before its destruction. Precisely, with precision, with exactness, involving uh, everything from 9-11 to the crash on Wall Street, to the Great Recession, to the War on Terror, everything involving political leaders, determining their actions and their words. And this is, these are the signs of a nation in danger of judgment. The first harbinger of judgment is the breach of the nation's hedge of protection. And you see this with the destruction of ancient Israel. You see that later with the destruction of Judah. There's an initial strike on the land. God removes the hedge of protection. He allows an enemy to strike in. Up to that point, there, there was a, uh, it was almost impenetrable. But now when a nation departs from God, it loses that protection. And that, so that first strike is only temporary, but it's a warning of the, of the final destruction that will come if that nation does not turn back. It's a foreshadow. And so it's limited, but it is a wake-up call. And so it happened to ancient Israel in 732 BC as the Assyrians invaded the land, but the people did not repent. They were obviously traumatized, but they did not turn back to God. Well, so the first harbinger manifests itself to America on September 11, 2001, when our national hedge of protection, all our walls of security, the most sophisticated system in the world is breached. And with the strike of 9-11 comes into the land, strikes America. It is limited, it is temporary, but in the same way, it is a wake-up call. It is an alarm. And yet, America does not turn back either, just as ancient Israel had. When 9-11 came, there was all sorts of calls of God bless America.
God bless America, God bless America, people flocked to churches, people flocked to synagogues, people flocked all over the country to come and seek consolation. But there was something missing. What was missing is there was no searching of ways. There was no real turning to God. There was no real repentance or, Lord, are we doing something wrong? What are you doing? What are you calling us to do? It was a wake-up call, and we did not wake up. It almost looked as if we were going to have a revival, but we didn't because that was missing. And so for all these years leading up to 9-11, we had been driving God out of our lives, out of our courts, out of our schools, out of our public squares. And then we call on that day, for God when we are not seeking him. And so there can be no change of course if there is no repentance. And so the first sign, the first harbinger comes September 11th, the breach. No revival, no repentance, but defiance. And we're gonna see that the same response that ancient Israel gave in the light of their attack was the same response that America gave. I mean, exactly and precisely and so that sets the stage for the rest of the nine harbingers. The second harbinger manifests as the sign of the terrorist. It wasn't just that the walls of security were breached, but who breached it? In 732 BC, the ones who breached the security of Israel were the Assyrians. The Assyrians were brutal, violent, vicious people. They were sort of the Nazis of the ancient world. The Assyrians gave to the world a gift, and that was the gift of terrorism. They are the fathers of terrorism. They invented it, they created it, they mastered it, they perfected it, which is to use terror as a strategy to accomplish an end. They would attack civilians, they would mutilate them, torture them, they would parade their victims to the cities so that those cities and those nations would just surrender to them without a fight. The idea of terrorism is that you, you traumatize your enemy so that they basically just collapse or capitulate. This is exactly the philosophy and the strategy of Al-Qaeda.
9-11, America is breached, and not just breached, but they are breached by those who are specifically terrorists. The members of Al-Qaeda were spiritual disciples of the ancient Assyrian. The Assyrians who attacked Israel in uh, 732 BC were from, of course, the Middle East. The terrorists of 9-11 were from the Middle East. The Assyrians, when they attacked the land, they spoke to each other in the language of Akkadian. Akkadian is a long extinct language, but that's the language they use to direct the attack. There is one language still in the world today that is most closely associated with Akkadian, has the same structure, same, same, uh, really everything. It's a sister language. One exists. That language is Arabic. The terrorists of 9-11, when they carried out the attack, were speaking to each other in, this, in the language closest to that spoken by the ancient Assyrians when they attacked Israel. In the last days of Israel's existence, the nation was brought into a conflict with Assyria, an ultimate conflict that would end up bringing its destruction. After 9-11, America was brought into a conflict with the land of Iraq. What is Iraq? Iraq is ancient Assyria. The soldiers who went to Iraq undoubtedly came into contact with the actual descendants of the ancient Assyrians from Isaiah 9:10, the second harbinger manifests in America now, the sign of the terrorist. comes right from the vow. It begins, the bricks have fallen. So this is the first sign uh, within the attack that has been made. The Israelites emerge from the attack. They survey what is there, and they see the signs of destruction. Their buildings have fallen. The fallen bricks mean fallen buildings. Um, it's obviously the sign of destruction, and it's a sign of falling. And so this is the image that, that, that uh, confronts them all around, the destruction of their buildings. What happens in 9-11? The central image of 9-11, that burns into everyone's consciousness in America, is the image of falling buildings, is the image of the Twin Towers falling.
And then the rune heap at ground zero, this colossal rune heap uh, that becomes really the image of 9-11. So the image is literally of runes, and actually in those runes are literally bricks. At, at in ground zero, also bricks as well. This is a symbol and it's a warning to Israel and it's a warning here now that if the nation does not turn back to God, that its, its structure will crumble, will collapse. The World Trade Center was symbolic. It was a, a symbol of America's economic preeminence, its global power in the world. And here we have a symbol of the collapse of that power. What does it mean for the future? The third harbinger, the bricks have fallen, has been manifested. The fourth harbinger is shown in the words, we will rebuild. The nation of Israel says basically, we're not going to repent, we're going to defy God, we're going to come back stronger than ever. The actual scripture in Isaiah 9:10 begins with this introduction. The Lord sends a message against Jacob, and it falls upon Israel, and all the people will know it, that is Ephraim and the inhabitants of Samaria, who say in pride and in the arrogance of heart, the bricks have fallen, but we will rebuild with hewn stone. They rebuild their national defenses. They strengthen their security. They make alliances. They do all sorts of things by their own strength. And that is their way of saying, we don't need God and we are, we are going to be stronger than ever without him. What God is saying is, the people have not repented. And so what they are declaring is they will rebuild regardless of what God is trying to do. If they had repented, it would be one thing. To rebuild would be natural. But what they're saying is we're not going to repent. We are not going to change our ways. We're not going to search our ways. We are going to rebuild, and we're going to rebuild higher than before. So it becomes a national campaign. They are rebuilding the, the, the buildings that had fallen, and they are also rebuilding the nation. It's symbolic of the nation. That, that rebuilding site becomes the symbol of the nation's attempt to come back stronger than ever without God by continuing down a course away from God. What happens in the wake of 9-11 is America, as we've seen, does not respond by seeking God or searching its ways, but focuses on we're going to rebuild, we're going to rebuild. And this almost becomes a mantra, the same words as the ancient leaders. We're going to rebuild. We're not only going to rebuild, we're going to come out of this stronger than we were before. 
They should rebuild the World Trade Center, but make them stronger and maybe a story taller. And then we've won the battle. In the beginning, and that the Twin Towers, in some fashion, should go back up to show America's resolve and defiance. Look, the Twin Towers should go back up to show America's defiance, to say to terrorists, we, you will not control our skyline, we will. We'll rebuild Ground Zero. We'll rebuild better than again and again and again without anything of repentance. That's the key. So it becomes something of pride and of arrogance of heart. We're going to show the world, but we're not turning to God at all. Over Ground Zero, there appears a sign that says a new icon. It calls it. It's an icon is going to rise up above the skyline of Manhattan, and it shall be called the Freedom Tower. It's interesting because there is an ancient translation of the Bible called the Septuagint, which renders it this way. It says, the bricks have fallen. It says, come let us build ourselves a tower. The fourth harbinger manifests with America not turning to God, but instead saying, we will rebuild ourselves stronger than ever. And so the tower begins to rise, which is the fourth harbinger. is right there in the valley. It says, the bricks have fallen, but we will rebuild with hewn stone. Now, what is that? The word in Hebrew is gazit. And gazit means stone that is specifically cut out of a quarry. It is carved. Uh, it, is, um, it is chiseled out. And it becomes a massive rectangular block. And so what the Israelites were saying is that the clay bricks have fallen, and but they were weak. But we're going to come back stronger. We are going to build with hewn or gazit stone. And so they're saying we are now going to be become invulnerable to attack. And so what they do is they go out to the mountains of Israel, to the bedrock of the land, and they chisel out this gazit stone. They bring back the Gazit stone, this quarried stone, and they lay it down in the ground of destruction because it says the bricks have fallen, but we will rebuild what was fallen in the same spot is what it's saying. We will put the Gazit stone there. It becomes the cornerstone of a, of a building that's going to be higher and bigger than ever because you can build higher with this, these kind of stones. 
so this object, the Gazit Stone, is the embodiment of the defiance of the nation. They're vowing over the stone. So what happens after 9-11? The fifth harbinger is the Gazit stone. For it to manifest, it must be chiseled out of mountain rock into a rectangular block of stone taken back to the ground of destruction, which has to be ground zero, the central ground, and there becoming a symbol of defiance. So did this happen? The answer is yes. After 9-11, a little, a few years after, they go to the mountains of New York. They quarry out a rock, they cut a rock, it becomes a massive rock, 20 tons of granite. It's a perfect gazit stone. They take the stone back from where, where they carved it. They take it to New York City. They take it to ground zero. They lower it on a crane to go down where the bricks had fallen, where the, where the wreckage had been. And there they have a ceremony around it, leaders, uh, assemble around it, the governor of New York, the mayor and others go around, and there they proclaim vows of over this stone. Today we take Adirondack granite, the bedrock of our state, and place it as the foundation. The bedrock of this new symbol of American strength and confidence. Today we lay the cornerstone a new symbol of this city and of this country and of our resolve to triumph in the face of terror. Today, we build the Freedom Tower. They make the stone another symbol. They call it the Freedom Stone. And here's what the commentaries say about this. Ancient Israel, far from being humbled and becoming repentant as a result of the chastening judgments of the Lord, they are resolutely determined to withstand God and rebuild on an even grander scale. The bricks have crumbled, but we will rebuild with stone cut out of a quarry. The leaders of America, here's a quote from that gathering. It says, by laying this magnificent cornerstone of hope, we're sending a message to the people around the world. 
The commentaries speak of this act as embodying the spirit of defiance, calls it the spirit of defiance. It says the nation determines to act in a spirit of defiance. It will turn its fallen bricks into massive stones. Now listen to what the governor of New York would proclaim over the Gazette stone in that ceremony. He said this at ground zero. Today, we, the heirs of that revolutionary spirit of defiance, lay this cornerstone. They don't know what they're doing. And what we're going to see with the Harbingers is they, they continually reenact the ancient drama. They're like replaying the actions and the words of the ancient leaders of Israel. And without realizing what they're doing, so they proclaim that this Gazit stone is a cornerstone of hope. But the Gazit stone is the ancient cornerstone of judgment. The sixth harbinger goes right in order with the vow. The bricks have fallen, we will rebuild with hewn or quarried stone. The sycamores have been cut down. So when the Assyrians came into the land, they didn't just destroy buildings or uh, ravage cities, they ravaged the land itself. The sign here is the sign of the sycamore. The struck down sycamore becomes a sign of judgment. It's actually a sign of national judgment even before this. In, in the Psalms, it speaks of Egypt being judged, the first national judgment in the Bible. And the sign is, it speaks of the sycamores being struck in the judgment. So now to Israel though, the sycamores have fallen. So here's a sign of judgment, a sign of uprooting. But what about America? The sixth harbinger is that a sycamore has to be struck down and somehow would have to be connected to this strike on the land. So could this be connected to 9-11? The first problem is the terrorists of 9-11 weren't interested in sycamores. They were interested in destroying cities and buildings, not trees. The second problem is trees don't naturally show up in New York City, at least in Lower Manhattan. It's not the place you expect to see a lot of trees in the financial district or around Ground Zero. But the amazing thing, the uncanny thing, the very strange thing, but the precise thing, is that on 9-11, strange thing happens. As the last tower is falling, it sends wreckage, beams, into the air and the objects go across and hit an object that is a tree. The tree crashes. What kind of tree is it? It was a sycamore. The sign of national judgment, the sycamore has fallen right in order and just like the other harbingers, the people make it into a symbol. They take the fallen sycamore and they put it on display. And they call it the sycamore of ground zero. They celebrate the sycamore. New Yorkers come to see the sycamore without realizing that it is an ancient harbinger of judgment. The 
harbinger of the sycamore appears in America, the sign of uprooting for a nation, the sixth harbinger. The vow continues. The sycamores have been cut down, but we will plant cedars in their place. This is another vow of defiance. See, the natural thing would have been to replace an old sycamore with a new sycamore, but they don't do that. The sycamore was a plain tree, was uh, an even weak tree. The people of Israel clear away the fallen sycamores. They go to, the, to plant a cedar in the place, in the exact place where the sycamore has stood. Now, what tree is it? Now, when you read in English, you read cedar, but behind that is a Hebrew word. The Hebrew word is Erez, or the Erez tree. Erez can mean cedar, but it, it specifically means more than cedar. It, it, all, it means a, a conifer tree, or a coniferous tree, an evergreen conifer tree, a, a tree with, uh, with pines or needle-like leaves. But most specifically, the most accurate translation of Erez, we will, we will plant an Erez tree, the most accurate translation is the word panacea, a panacea tree, a tree of the panacea family. What they're saying is that we're going to come back stronger, we're going to plant a stronger tree. The cedar was a much stronger tree to represent that we will not be uprooted, but we're going to come back again stronger we're going to bloom, we're going to prosper like a tree, we're going to grow taller. So it becomes another symbol of the nation and of its defiance against God. Could this happen, would this happen in America, the seventh harbinger to be manifested? As we saw in the wake of 9-11, a sycamore was struck down. But now, the people of America or New York have to replace that tree, not with a sycamore, which would be natural, but with a different tree, and that tree has to be a Hebrew Erez tree. Could that have happened? Well, an amazing thing. Three years later, after 9-11, uh, a sign, a tree appears in the sky on a crane being lowered over a, a fence at the corner of Ground Zero, it's lowered into the exact spot where once stood a sycamore tree. What is that tree? That tree, the Eris tree has to be a conifer. The tree is a conifer. The Eris tree is specifically a panacea tree. The tree that they chose to replace the sycamore of Ground Zero was a panacea tree, which is the biblical Eris tree. And just as with the other harbingers, they have a ceremony around the tree and they, they gather around it and they proclaim this is the tree of hope, just like the tree of Israel's planting was their tree of their national hope. Uh, they celebrate the defiant nature of human hope and they declare it, this is, the, this is now the ground zero tree of hope. And it, the, the one who, who officiates over the ceremony literally makes reference to this act. And in, in Hebrew, the act is called chalaf. 
it means we replace or plant in the place of another. It says, this new, this tree of hope is, is planted in the exact spot, he proclaims, where the sycamore once stood. And this is all taking place in the corner of ground zero. All these things manifesting, the sixth and seventh harbinger together, and nobody is planning this out, nobody is, is figuring it out, nobody's saying let's do this with this, it's just happening. As with the rest of the harbingers, they happen because they have to happen. They have to be manifested. So now, in order, even the seventh harbinger is manifested at the corner of ground zero. Our confidence shaken. Though we are living through difficult and uncertain times, the eighth harbinger is the utterance, is the vow of defiance that Israel utters to, against God after the strike in connection with that strike. seeing that the harbingers actually determine not only the actions of people, the actions of American leaders, but also the actual words. And the people may have said that vow, we will rebuild, we will plant, we'll come back stronger. The people may have said that, but, but the leaders had to have said it, because it's only significant if the leaders say it, because the leaders determine the course of the nation. The leaders represent the nation. So the leaders would have to make the vow, and they're the only ones who really could authoritatively make it. We will rebuild, and let me just say the vow again, the bricks have fallen, but we will rebuild with quarried stone. The sycamores have been struck down, but we will plant cedars in their place. And where would they have proclaimed it? The leaders would have proclaimed it in the capital city because that's where they resided, in Samaria. So, for the Eighth Harbinger to manifest in America, what has to happen is that an American leader, or a prominent American leader, would have to proclaim these words of defiance in a public setting in the capital city. Now, could this happen? Because what American leader, in their right mind, would be proclaiming a verse of judgment on the nation. Well, the amazing thing is, it happened. It would have to be linked to 9-11 because the, the words are linked to the strike of ancient Israel. So it has to be, happen in the capital, has to happen in Washington, D.C. So he gets up to speak, and he has no idea what he's about to do. These are his actual words. He says this, Good morning. Today on this day of remembrance and mourning, we have the Lord's word to get us through. And these are the words. Bricks have fallen, but we will build with dressed stones. The sycamores have been cut down, but we will put cedars in their place. Out of some 30,000 verses in the Bible, he thought would be inspiring to his audience he chooses the one verse that's about the judgment of a nation that has just received the first strike and the first warning to speak to commemorate 
And not only does he say this, but he builds his entire speech around the ancient vow. His whole speech is a manifestation of the vow. He goes on to say this, let me show you how we are building and putting cedars in those three hallowed places. He goes on, and in a place where smoke once rose, you and I, we will see that cedar rising. And he says yet again, and you'll see that while those bricks fell and the sycamores cut down, our people, our people are making the cedars rise. It's mind-boggling. It's amazing that he would say this. He doesn't realize because no one would say this if they knew what it was. And so he's speaking allegorically. He speaks of cedars and, and sycamores and stones as if it was not a nice poetic symbol of America's restoration. He has no idea that there is an actual cedar or Erez tree that our people made rise. He has no idea that there's an actual a sycamore tree that actually was struck down. He has no idea there's an actual Gazit stone that we actually put up, yet he proclaims it without knowing it. He is uttering the vow and he's now making the ancient vow. He's transforming it now into America's vow which is ominous because that vow was sealing the fate of ancient Israel for destruction. So the eighth harbinger, the vow, the utterance, is manifested in Washington, D.C. Ninth Harbinger is the vow in the form of prophecy or the prophecy. That, in other words, the vow, the ancient vow, is to be proclaimed in America by an American leader in the capital city, and it's proclaimed prophetically in advance of what is about to happen. It's going to foretell the course of America before it happens, and it's going to become part of the national record. But there's more to it, because the vow of the ancient leaders of Israel was also prophetic, because they were speaking what would happen. They were foretelling the nation's course of defiance and judgment, and it becomes part of the prophetic record of the Bible. Because Isaiah quotes it as a comment on it from God's judgment on the vow, so it also becomes a prophetic utterance in that respect. What leader in their right mind would do this, proclaiming judgment on America? But the amazing thing is, it happened. On the day after 9-11, in the capital city, on Capitol Hill, a national leader, a, a very high national leader, the Senate Majority Leader, Tom Daschle, he is the one who's appointed to bring America's response to 9-11. So this is prophetically important. And so he comes up to present the response of the nation to 9-11. And he gives a speech. A symbol for 212 years of the strength of our democracy. And say that America will emerge from this tragedy as we have emerged from all adversity, united 
and strong. And what he does at the end of the speech was ominous. I know that there is only the smallest measure of inspiration, of inspiration that can be taken from this devastation. But there is a passage in the Bible from Isaiah that I think speaks to all of us at times like this. What is it? Then he proclaims it from Capitol Hill. The bricks have fallen down, but we will rebuild with dressed stone. The fig trees have been felled, but we will replace them with cedars. Here is the man appointed to give the nation's response, speaking in his capacity, representing the nation. He utters the words of ancient Israel. And he closes the speech with these words. He says this. That is what we will do. We will rebuild and we will recover. That is what we will do. He's referring to Isaiah 9:10. He just said it. So what, this is mind-boggling. What he's saying is, America's policy now, America's course will be Isaiah 9:10. And this is prophetic in so many ways. First of all, he doesn't even know when he says this, he says the sycamores have been cut. He doesn't know that it actually happened on ground zero. The dust was still hovering over ground zero when they were discovering it as he was speaking. He doesn't know that there will actually be a stone that he proclaims, a stone will be laid at ground zero three years later. He doesn't know that the sycamore will be replaced by the heiress tree, but he proclaims it all in advance of it happening. He's proclaiming judgment on the nation from Capitol Hill on the very day after 9-11, that there would not be national revival in the wake of 9-11, but there would be national defiance. And this is an ominous, ominous thing. We're going to rebuild. We're not only going to rebuild, we're going to come out of this stronger than we were before. They should rebuild the World Trade Center, but make them stronger and maybe a story taller. And then we've won the battle. Because this is the official response of America to 9-11, and that actual response is Isaiah 9-10. It's in the Senate record. It is the, the ancient vow. How could this possibly become our response? It happened because it had to happen. The harbinger had to manifest, and so it did on the very day after the calamity, the ninth harbinger. All nine harbingers manifested in precision, in exactness, harbingers of judgment. All the components of Isaiah 9:10, all the harbingers of Israel's last days before destruction have been manifested to America. But it doesn't stop there. The harbingers continue. In fact, they're going to affect everything from the war on terror. To the crash of the stock market. Let's talk about the speed with which we are watching this market deteriorate. We're red everywhere, essentially, down by 4 5 percent. We're down over 16 percent. Dow, at the same time, has fallen about 18 percent. 
The stock market is now down 21%. Because we're now down 43%. The global economic collapse. This market is as volatile as you'll ever see. Traders say this is the craziest day they have ever seen in these markets. Veteran traders say they've never seen anything like it. The movement in oil prices so fast, so furious. The Great Recession. People bought homes they knew they couldn't afford from banks and lenders who pushed those bad loans anyway. And all the while, critical debates and difficult decisions were put off for some other time on some other day. Well, that day of reckoning has arrived. We've driven God out of our schools. We've driven God out of our government. We've driven God out of our culture. We mock him. We uh, denigrate his people and his word. We've taken down the Ten Commandments. We have taken the Bible from our children and prayer. If we continue on that course, there is only judgment. God is calling us to turn back, to repent. As a nation, we must turn back to God. We must repent for driving him out of our culture, out of our land, out of our lives. God is calling us to boldly shine the light and boldly proclaim his word. God is calling us to rise for such a time as this and to be the salt of the earth and the light to America we were called to be. The key is, if a nation being warned by God does not turn back, then it will not just be one calamity, there will come another. Sorry, I didn't mean to cough into the mic. <laughs> How many of you guys enjoyed the video tonight? Um, let me tell you something. This, was, this came out in 2012, and there have been more harbingers and more harbingers. He's got a new book out called The uh, Josiah, uh, Josiah Effect. He talks about the COVID. And in, uh, anybody know what happened in 1970? Abortion was legalized in America. 50 years to the day, which we call a jubilee, is the first case of COVID, and it started in New York where our first abortion happened. And I might get that a little wrong, but he has the dates. To the day, 1973, the state with the most abortions was New York. And the amount that we had killed so far was 3 million. 2023, to the day, 3 million died of COVID in the United States. He goes into all this stuff. So if you get a chance to read some of Jonathan Kahn's books, I recommend them. But some of the harbingers that we, he talks about are happening. Um, something he doesn't mention in that video, I don't know if it's in the shaking. I got to watch it. It's been a while since I've watched it. And I really don't think... The enemy wanted us to watch this video tonight because all we hear about is, oh, we're going to do great. But guys, our country, how many of you would agree that since 9-11, our country's kind of gone downhill? How, well, even, yeah, since they took prayer out of school. Do you know what the percentage was in 1963 when they took, when they took the Bible out of school? 
Do you know what the biggest crime before that was in 1960? Of course, I was born in 77, so I wasn't alive then, but some of you guys might know, and I'm not picking on you, it's just the truth, right? Was chewing gum in class. When they took the Bible out of school, the next year, um, crime skyrocketed like 100, and, it was in the way 100%, it's like 130% or something like that. You take, you take God's standards out of your nation. You kick God out of your nation and out of your life, you're going to have the results. Look at the churches today. I mean, from 9-11 to now, I mean, you think, what, it's been uh, 23, 22 years, almost 23 years, right? People were flocking to churches, no real true repentance, right? I think it was Brother Rogers on weekend. I did watch on Sunday, by the way. I was making comments. I was like, yeah, preach it. He did a great job, by the way. I'm so thankful for him. And he did it at such a short notice. <laughs> I'll tell you the story after church about that. But <clears throat> I'm so thankful for Gary Rogers for coming and sharing. And he dropped into my heart what I've been wanting to share. And I just haven't had a chance. And he preaches on it. I'm like, all right. I mean, I just love the way God works. But wasn't it like 40 million are de-churched in America now? Um, you know, I told you that we, we, you know, we just pastored in the, the Northwest for seven years. That's comparable, and I've told you this before, and the East Coast now to the 1040 window of people that don't know Jesus. We're in living in a nation that is apostatized. Um, you find that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I want to read uh, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4 first. And I know we're, it's a little bit after. I'll make this quick. But 1 Timothy chapter 4, um, uh, verse 1, Paul says to Timothy, he says, the Spirit... It's capitalized, so it means Holy Spirit. He says, the Holy Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. We're seeing that in the church. I mean, when you have a minister dress up like a woman and teach from the pulpit, you've apostatized. The Bible talks about that calling being effeminate. That you're not to be effeminate. Men are not to dress like women. Women aren't to be dressed like men, period, right? Then you have the, the, the teaching. Oh, it's okay. You can live this lifestyle and God still loves you. Yes, God loves you, but he doesn't approve of your sin, right? God loves you and I, but he doesn't approve of what? Our sins. And when Paul says this, he says to Timothy, and he's speaking of those within the church, not those outside the church. He's speaking to those within the church that some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. And you're seeing that. You remember I did a series, or not a series, a sermon on, on uh, the apostasy within the church. It's a Greek word which means to defect or depart. It means to actually lose your identity. Are we seeing that today in our society? We are. Are we seeing that in the church? Yes, we are. I'm trying to find it. It's always before Timothy, and I always go backwards. I don't know why. But 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. Now, here's the, here's the wonderful thing for us, church. Okay, first of all, we are to occupy till he comes, right? God's not done with us. We're to share the gospel. We're to get ourselves right. Make sure we're in revival. I'm constantly praying, God, what's inside of me that needs to change? 
Man, I had a bad attitude today. Lord, change that in me. Uh, I, I, I got angry. I had this thought. That, that person really irritated me. Right? Lord, change me. He says, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, which is the rapture, we ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, report, or letter supposed to have come from us, saying that the day of the Lord has already come, meaning that they had been left behind and they were in the tribulation period. He says, don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the falling away or the rebellion, the word in the Greek is apostasy, occurs. Then the man of lawlessness will be revealed. And he goes on to talk about later, he says, for the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. And most scholars will, will agree that some of the translations there, it literally means the Holy, the church, the Holy Spirit indwells the church. Now understand that the Holy Spirit has to be here during the tribulation period for people to get saved. So the one that departs is who? Us. Because if you read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he talks about the rapture. And if anybody, and you've heard me say this, and I'm going to say this a hundred times. If anybody says the word rapture is not in the Bible, it is. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, when it says uh, uh, being gathered to him or caught up into the air, that word caught up is harpazo. But in the Latin, it's raptui, where we get the word rapture from. So if somebody says, I don't see it in the Bible, well, go read a Latin Bible, which this was translated from, and you will find the word rapture. So the wonderful thing is we are seeing an apostasy of not only a nation, but of the church. It means the church has failed its job of preaching the gospel. And it also says in the last days, men won't put up with sound doctrine, but they'll gather around them teachers that will tell and tickle their ears. I'm not saying all the big churches are the ones that tickle your ears because there's some really good preachers that preach the word and they got big churches. But there are some big churches that preach the word to tickle the ears to make people feel good. And the Bible does make us feel good, but it also convicts. So I wanted to show that video tonight because our nation, I believe, is still under judgment. And we're seeing that. We're not the number one nation anymore. How many of you guys have heard of the word BRICS? Anybody know what the name BRICS? It's Brazil, Russia, uh, India, China, and South Africa. They're making their own uh, dollar. <clears throat> and... A lot of the nations are going towards that to get away from the U.S. dollar because we're losing. Our dollar doesn't have any power anymore. Do you know our nation is in debt? Our nation actually is bankrupt. We have to borrow money to stay alive. We borrow from ourselves. And if you know anything about inflation, you print money, eventually it loses its what? Value. And we, we're not on the gold standard anymore. It's God's judgment on our nation for turning our back on him. And so I believe that we're living in the last days. I love what Gary Rogers says. I agree with him 100%. Everything he said, I was like, yeah. I was like, you preach it, because I couldn't that Sunday. I was coughing and, and hacking, and I could barely talk. But I think Jesus is at the door. He's at the door, and he's going to be coming back soon, very soon. And if we're not ready, we'll be left behind. If we're ready, he'll take us. If we know him, right? And what I mean by ready is, are you born again? Are you saved? Do you have Jesus in your heart? 
And then if, if you're not doing what God's called you to do and you're not about the business, you're going to have to give an account to the Lord for the things you did for him or didn't do for him. And it's called rewards. I don't know about you, but I don't want to lose my rewards. Right? I mean, I was thinking about this today. These people that are sports players, I was looking at some of the rich people that we remember back in the 80s, all the people we thought, oh, they're so cool. And now they're getting older, right? And some of them are passing away. I just saw somebody, these famous rock stars that are passing away. They can't take that money with them. That just goes and people forget about them. You know, like Robin Williams. How many people have forgotten about Robin Williams? Right? Famous actor. He was really big back in the 90s and the 80s. You know, Nanu Nanu. Some of you guys may not know that. That's Mark and Mindy. <coughs> I used to watch them. But the whole thing is, is the things that we store up in heaven are kept forever. But our rewards of what we do for the Lord out of a good, right motive will not be burned up. There'll be a precious uh, stones and jewels and, and gold. But the things that we did with the wrong motives and wrong heart, or we didn't do for the Lord, it'll be all burned up. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for tonight. We glorify you. I pray, Father, that as this video sparks us, that it would motivate us to share the gospel. And that, Lord, that we would, as a nation, I don't know if it's, you know, Nineveh was at a point almost of no return, Lord, but you had a prophet as a watchman on the wall, Jonah, who did it defiantly but still preached the gospel and that whole nation repented. God, I'm still praying for a national revival. I don't know if it's possible in these end times. I'm, I'm not you, Lord, but it's a possible according to your word that if you said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and heal their land. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. So, Father, we want to be people of that and we want a nation of that. So, Father, would you bring repentance? Would you bring revival? Would you bring in a great awakening to our nation? We need revival, Lord. We need revival in the church. Lord, we need revival. Even those people that we think are lost and there's no way they could ever be found, there is nobody that you cannot reach. Even those that are in the pulpits, that are dressing like women, those that are teaching wrong doctrine, Lord, they can still get saved. You can bring them to repentance. So God, as, as, a, as your spokesman tonight, as your under-shepherd father, help me to, to live in revival. And I pray that for each and every one of us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need any prayer, I'm welcome to pray with you. How many of you guys, I'm, I'm going to look at the shaking. I believe that that's the second video. He goes into a little bit further into it. And we're going to watch that next week. I'm going to watch it and make sure it works. I don't know what's going on with our, I think it's our app, right? Our, our the video app that we had. <coughs> Pardon me. And then, then the star. I want to watch that a couple. Uh, if we can get enough time to watch that on a Wednesday night before, because it's Christmas, right? This would be a good time to watch it. It's about the star of Bethlehem. How many of you guys know a few years ago, it was like two years ago, that actually showed up again? And, and it hadn't been in line since for 2,000 years. Did you know in 2033, it'll be 2,000 years from the time that Christ ascended to heaven? We're getting close, guys. Look, I got goosebumps. Am I the only one? <laughs> I get excited about this. Well, God bless you. If you need prayer, I'm here to pray with you. We'll see you guys on Sunday morning.